Welcome to the Torah Prime Podcast with Rabbi Yaakov Laredo. Rabbi Laredo is the founder and director of the Miami Torah Center in Sunny Isles Beach, Florida. MTC Sunny Isles is an organization that inspires Jews of all ages and backgrounds to develop and expand themselves through the study of Torah. We focus on three main areas, discovering Torah, connecting to God, and engaging with other Jews. Rabbi Laredo's number one goal is to provide you with deep, clear, concise, and applicable Torah material, helping you become the best you. Rabbi Omer. So whenever we have Rabbi in the Mishnah, it's talking about Rabbi Yudah Nasi. Rabbi Yudah Nasi was the great author of the Mishnah, meaning prior to all of the Mishnayot being written down, they were all orally transmitted. Meaning, as we saw in the first Mishnah in the beginning of the book, Moshe Kibel Torah Mesinai, that Moshe Rabenu, bring up a chair, that Moshe Rabenu received Torah at Sinai. I sit next to you, I can't <laughs> He received the oral Torah. And along with the written Torah, we know that the written Torah obviously came down with, but he also came down with the oral Torah. What does the oral Torah mean? The oral Torah means all the explanations to the written Torah. I'll give you an example, although we can give zillions of examples, but listen to the following. As men, what do we do every day, or what are we supposed to do every day? We're supposed to put on, very good, tefillin. Do you know that the Torah says that you're supposed to put your tefillin al yadecha? Daniel, you speak in Hebrew, right? Where's your yad? Where? No, no, show me exactly where. Your yad is right over here, okay? Why don't we wrap our tefillin here? Our tefillin goes on our bicep. That's the oral Torah that explains us where the tefillin go. It also tells us ben enecha. Where's ben enecha? That's right over here. But we don't put our tefillin over here. We put our tefillin up here. How do we know that? That's all based on the oral Torah. Rather, the hand should be opposite the heart, and the tefillin of the head should be opposite the brain, which is corresponding to the middle part of where the eyes are. That's the oral Torah that explains it. And there are so many different examples of how the oral Torah explains the written Torah. And one without the other would be impossible to, to understand God's intention. So, Rabbi Udanasi was the man who codified all of the oral Torah, meaning the oral Torah was never to be written. It was always to be passed on transmission from rabbi to student and on and on and on and on and on until Rabbi Yudanasi came along and he said that if we don't write it now, it's going to be forgotten. And that's who is talking over here just as an introduction to who this great sage was. So Rabbi Omer, What is the proper straight path a person should choose for himself for his life as follows anything which is good for the one doing it meaning if you feel good when you do something you know that's the right thing this is always a great uh, catalyst to know or an indicator better to know if you're doing something right or wrong is how do you feel after you do it after you eat a Big Mac. And now let's say it's a kosher one. So one of them is parv. Either the meat's parv, it's that incredible burger. Has anyone tried the incredible burger? Okay. Either it's an incredible burger with real cheese or it's tofu cheese with a real meat. Okay. Either or. Let's say it's kosher. And you, and you, and you ate and you ate and you ate. How do you feel after? Not so good. Okay, that's a trivial example. What about after you whacked someone? 
You yelled at someone. You broke something in anger. How do you feel after that settles down? Do you feel good or not? What about after you stole something? Or after you lied, God forbid. How do you feel after that? Well, that's how you know if you did something good or bad. It's always after. And by the way, it's not too late when you figure out afterwards how you feel. Because now you know that when you do A, B, C, you feel this way. So you know next time indications of A, B, or C show up, you know not to engage in it or to at least have some type of buffer zone how much to engage in it that you, as, as, as you should. So that's important. So, amen. And something that everybody would agree is good. Everyone would agree it's good to help others. It's good to say a good word. It's good to encourage others. So it's how you feel. And also, as others would look upon you and see if that was done good or not. Next, he continues to say, We should be cautious to fulfill the lightweight, and I say that in, in brackets, the lightweight commandments along with the heavyweight ones. Why? He explains, Because no one really knows what the reward of a mitzvah is. The commentaries, and again, the main commentaries we're learning in this series is Rashi, the Rambam, and Rabbeinu Yonah, which are the three main medieval rabbinic commentaries on the Pirkei Avot. So two of the, uh, of, the, of the three bring down the following parable and says the importance of, of how, how important it is to not only do one mitzah because you think it's very, very, uh, very heavy and very big and very... Uh, rewarding. For example, let's say a king would come over to, how many people are in here? 15 people, let's just say, came over to 15 of his subjects and say, okay, here is some boxes, and in each box there's a different fruit or vegetable seed, specifically fruit seed. And on each box they're labeled. So what's everyone going to do? He says, I want everyone to go ahead and plant fill up the king's garden. So what's everyone going to go for? Everyone's going to go for, if you're a good Jew, you're going to go for the etrogim, because you know those are worth a lot of money. And then you're going to go for maybe oranges, because you know, some good freshly squeezed orange. But let's face it, who's going to go for the apples? And there's different variations of apples. Apples are not worth so much. And strawberries, yeah, maybe strawberries you'll go for, and ones that are going to take long to, 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 to grow and to give off fruit you won't go for. Everyone now is going to start going for, the, for a specific type. At the end, when they all grow, you're only going to have one or two or maybe three species instead of the 15 that he brought for everyone to, 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 to plant. And a fruit salad with two or three fruits is not like a fruit salad with 15 fruits, obviously. And that's just... A, a parable to imagine he would come and he would give everybody a couple different types of seeds and not tell them what they are. Everyone's going to go and plant all of them. And that's exactly what God did to us. God gave us 613 seeds, 613 mitzvot. And he tells us, go plant and fulfill. Some of them we know the reward. Some of them we think we know the reward. Most of them we don't know the reward because all those are, are calculations. Those are divine calculations. And therefore, a person should invest in all the mitzvot that they're able to do. 
and not start picking and choosing because then you're only stuck with one or two species. I understand some people, they love certain mitzvot. I'm not saying to stop those. But don't put all your eggs in that basket. Don't plant all of the same seed. We need to, in this, in this allegorical sense, come to God with a full variety of field and, and, and forest that we're able to come into the next world. That's what it means. Don't try to weigh in on only the ones that you think are heavy. Weigh in on all of the different mitzvot. Next, this is very interesting as well. And a person should also weigh out what they're losing for fulfilling a mitzvah. Meaning, a person at this moment could be sleeping, could be eating, could be going to the gym, could be hanging out with friends, doing even things which are not good, gambling, bar, who knows what. But, so take all that and see, look at what I'm missing. I'm missing all that, but I'm missing all that. Keneged sechara. What reward am I getting instead? So he says, whenever you do something, put it on a scale, like an investment. Okay, there's a risk factor. How much of a risk factor is there? How much do I need to invest? What's the probability of this going sour or, or taking off? And then, okay, you'll invest in this one, you won't invest in that one. You'll do this, you'll do that. Same thing with what we do in life. Put it on a scale. What am I really missing out by going and doing something good? What am I gaining when I do something good? And do the opposite. And see, when I do something wrong, when I do something negative, well, what's my punishment going to be? We should always, and this is something that unfortunately is very hard as human beings to do, the same way as we double and we triple check certain areas of our life, for example, financial ramifications, or the person we're going to marry, or all different concepts which are very important to us, we should try to at least mimic that or mirror that to the spiritual aspects of our life. You know, really think before we do something and make the right decision just like we do in all other aspects and areas of our life. And he says, look at three things that will hold a person back from sinning. Number one, sorry, and they all fall under the umbrella of da mimcha. Know what is above you. What's above you? The following three things. Ain ro'a. There's an eye that's watching. There's an ozen shomat. There's an ear that's listening. Vechol, number three, vechol ma'asecha, basefer nichtavim. Everything that a person does is written down. Now this was hundreds and hundreds of years before a video camera. Okay? But he's basically saying we are being watched, recorded, audio recorded, and also inscribed in everything that we do for our judgment, our judgment every year at Rosh Hashanah, and our final judgment when we, when we pass away. So, and it's a little, it sounds a little redundant, so no, it's not redundant. Everything's going to be visual, everything's going to be heard, it's recorded, and if any of that you think is not going to be remembered, well, it's also recorded and written down properly. That's the way the commentaries exactly as proof. Very good, as the commentaries explain. Bet, second Mishnah. Rabban Gamliel ben Oshel Rabbi Yehuda Nasi Omer. So Rabban Gamliel, the son of Rabbi Yehuda, the prince, which is the rabbi that said the previous Mishnah, he says as follows. Yafet Talmud Torah im derech eretz. It's nice and it's proper to live a life where we learn Torah but we also have some type of 
financial gaining, meaning maybe a small business, maybe a tutoring, maybe as a teacher, something that there's also some way to provide for one's family along with learning Torah. Why? When a person involves himself in both aspects, in the spiritual and the Torah aspects of their life, as well as, at least at a bare minimum, the physical and the financial aspects of their life, that keeps one away from sin. Okay, so I understand when we learn Torah, that keeps us away from sin, because then we know what to do, what not to do, why and how and all the above. But why is it important to also make a living? Well, our commentaries say, a person who doesn't make a living, unfortunately, could be tempted to steal. And then all of the good deeds and all of the Torah that they learn and all that opportunity, they won't be able to fulfill. So therefore, along with all of that, at the end of the day, we live in a world that has this physical and spiritual fusion. So yes, people need to eat. People need to live. People have to pay bills. People have to raise a family. All that doesn't grow on trees. We all know. So therefore, there has to be some balance. Now, everyone's balance is different. Some put more investment in one or the other. But the concept of us knowing that there needs to be a balance, that is something which keeps a person away from sin. Now, furthermore, And any Torah that doesn't have any true, true work, meaning that a person doesn't have a way to make a parnasah, unfortunately, there won't be any Torah, and it's only going to bring on sin, as we just explained. Anyone who does for the community, anyone who helps others, should always do so for the sake of God. What other sake would there be? Well, as Rabbi Yonah says, not in order to honor yourself, or to look prestigious in front of others, or to, to gain power over others. That's not the reason why a person should volunteer for their local organization, their local synagogue, or anything of the sort. The reason why a person should help others or contribute towards organizations, help towards organizations, is for the sake of God, is for the sake of helping His children. Not for having your name plastered all over the place, not for having your picture all over the place. Like, you know, when you walk in certain shows, you have every president's a picture. Okay, it's a nice thing. Is that the intention? No. If that's what your intention of doing it is for, that's obviously not what God, what God wants of, of you. Continuing. That, as we all know, when a person contributes of their time benevolently to an organization, it does weigh down and it's very, very taxing on a person. The power and the, the courage and the possibilities that a person has to fulfill that is really not their own merit. It's an, actually in the merit of their ancestors. And along with that, the, the great merit that a person does when they do help organizations, Lashem Shamaim, then that merit is for everlasting. That's Tzit Katan Omedet La'ad. And then anyone who does help the masses, even that little amount that they did, even though they were just one piece in a big puzzle, they get the merit of at least they, of, 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 as if they completed that whole project. So it is very noteworthy and very noble to help others, especially communities, uh, but it has to be done with the proper intention. I try to bring 10 people today, it counts like I try to bring 10 people. 
Yes, if you try, it, it, Hashem, if any mitzvah, this is not only for this, but it's any mitzvah that a person has the intention, they really try to do, even if it's not fulfilled, Hashem does give them the merit to, to do it. Okay, Gimel, the third Mishnah. zehirin barashut. A person should be very careful with the officials. We're talking city officials, elected officials, politicians. Why do you need to be very careful with them? Listen to the following. You know why a mayor, do you know why a president, do you know why an elected official is buddy-buddy with you? For, they're not buddy-buddy for you. They're buddy-buddy with you for themselves. Ah, when it's good for their own good, they're very close to you. They're your friends. They invite you to this meeting and they bring you golfing and they do all these good, good tennis, all these great things. But, but when you yourself, unfortunately, are going to be tight, you're going to have a hard time, all those very, very special and famous people, they're not going to be there for you. They're there for themselves. And again, it's very important to not get too close to them. The commentaries actually explain that when you get close to somebody, they do pick up dirt on you. Meaning, they know where you're not a hundred. No one's perfect, right? Right now, when they're in a good position as a politician or as an elected individual, they don't need to uncover that. They're busy with other good things. But when things start turning sour on them, unfortunately, they might be tempted to start uncovering dirt from those that are close to them that they know of. So that's another reason why not to get too close to those type of, of people. Be polite. Uh, be, uh, express your gratitude for what they do for the city or for the community or for the country. We get it. But not to get too close because... In the long run, and sometimes even in the short run, it only it only hurts. Dalid, who haya omer, make God's will your will, meaning whatever God wants you to do, make that what you want to do. So that God will make His will your will. You want to have a healthy life. You want to have a long life. You want to have a comfortable life. You want to have a family. You want to have children, grandchildren. That's your will. Okay? God wants to make that His will as well. He wants to make that happen. How do we make that happen? Making His will. Making what He wants from us our will. So it's, 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 it's a two-way street, basically, with God. Next and nullify our own will, which is obviously against the will of God, in order to fulfill God's will. It's the same, it's a double-edged sword. In order that God wipes out and destroys the will of others which are against you for your own will. So meaning, wipe out your own Ratzon, your own will, which is against God, so that God can wipe out others' people's wills that are against you, that are obviously not a, a proper or a, a, a good thing. Hillel Omer, we all have heard of Hillel. Hillel Azaken. In our Jewish history, uh, two of the greatest sages which worked hand in hand, however, they were complete polar opposites. Anytime a person will learn Mishnayot or any part of the Talmud, Whichever way Hillel says to do it, Shammai says to do it the other way. Or any way Shammai says to do it, Hillel says the other way. I'll give you a great example. How do we light the menorah on, on, on Hanukkah? Okay, we go one, and then two, and then three. You guess how, guess, oh, take a wild guess. How does Shammai say to light? Start with eight, and then do seven. And then on the third day, do six, and go down. And each of them have a valid reason. 
And all times, except for, does anyone know how many times we go halacha like, like, like Shammai? Three or four? Six, very close. Six times, this is my brother. <laughs> really, it's my brother. <laughs> okay, six times out of thousands of times is the halacha like Shammai. By Hanukkah, we obviously know it's like Hillel. But nevertheless, Hillel says the following. I'm just trying to give us a little bit of background on certain sages. Hillel says, Al tifrosh minatsibur. A person should never separate yourself from what everyone else is doing. Now, we're obviously not, the commentary say, we're not talking about if everyone's doing something wrong, don't be the one to get up and say, no, no, no. That, we obviously get up. But if everyone's doing something and it's right, or it's not right and it's not wrong, don't be the one sticking out. It just brings unnecessary attention, which is not not the right thing to do. If everybody's doing something wrong, then... Then obviously you should stand up and, and, and stick out. Meaning in generally saying don't stick out. But if everyone's doing something wrong, right? Everyone's lying. Everyone's jumping off the roof. Everyone's gambling. Everyone's... Everyone's speaking slander. Everyone's speaking lashonara. Don't be the don't be the one to say. Ah, listen. If everyone's doing it, I might as well go along. No. But if everyone's doing something and it's not wrong, it's not prohibited. Don't be the one to stick out. Okay. For example, there's a big um, debate amongst the rabbis. If a person, we're talking, this is this is what just came to mind. Specifically, men on a fast day like Tisha B'Av, and the other fasts that we have along the year. If on Mincha time, you should wear tefillin or not. Okay? There's different opinions. So, there are, and within, so some say yes, wear it in the afternoon, and some say no, don't wear it in the afternoon, because anyways, you wore it in the morning. Within those opinions, within the opinion that says to wear tefillin, what about if you go to a synagogue that their tradition is not to wear tefillin in Mincha time? Do you wear it or not? So within, wait, so listen, so within that opinion, some say yes, and some say not. The ones that say yes is because at the end of the day, you're not really sticking out. And the ones that say don't, they're saying, well, yes, you are sticking out because you're wearing a tali, then the tefillin are on. So again, there's different opinions. I'm not, this is not a halakha class. I'm not going through what the proper conduct and the way to do it is. It's also, it obviously depends on a traditional based. However, that's one example of Sticking out when it's not the right or the wrong thing to do. It's just an example. A person should never trust themselves until the day of their death. What does that mean? That means don't tempt yourself. Don't put yourself in a situation where you might, you probably, you have in the past slipped. Don't. You know that if you hang out with a certain friend, it always ends up to be no good. Either you guys get into trouble, you guys take certain substances which you're not supposed to take, we're not gonna give any examples, or you end up in places you shouldn't, or you end up winding up at home early in the morning or late at night, not knowing what happened before. All of these, I'm just giving you examples. All of these things are things that we know that when we are around, we can't help ourselves, or it's too hard, or sometimes we do win our evil inclination, sometimes we don't. Don't ever trust yourself. That's the concept. The concept is, is be confident in wherever we need to be, but we know when it comes to sin or when it comes to temptation, don't test yourself.
Don't ever judge your fellow until you are in his place. When someone snaps at you, when someone comes late, when someone has a certain way that he or she behaves, don't judge that person as a bad person, as a wrong person. Who knows what they went through? And in light of upcoming Monday, Rabbi Mansur coming and giving his Vartra, I'll say something I once heard from Rabbi Mansur. I always quote it whenever we learn this, this concept, is he actually says that we will never be able to really be in another person's shoes. Why? Well, you're thinking, well, if I had their job and I you know, am the same age as them and, or I went through a similar thing, I could judge them, right? I was in that same situation and I passed the test, so now I'm gonna judge you because you failed. Listen to what Ramanser says. He says you could never judge somebody because you know what it means to be in their shoes? It means that you would have to have grown up with that person's parents, with that person's siblings, go to the school they went to, be abused by the teacher and the children and the principal at school the same way that person was. <laughs> we didn't even get there yet. <laughs> have the same spouse of that person. Take the same abuse from the spouse and children and the neighbors and all of that. And that's just a microcosm of, of everything else that goes into a person's life. All of the good and bad. And now you could say you're standing in their shoes and you're in their place. And now go judge them. Judge them for the way they speak. Judge them for the way they dress. Judge them for who they hang out with and the good and the bad that they do. So basically this is telling you, think before you judge someone. Be in their shoes before you judge them. Can you really be in their shoes? Did you really go what they went through? And therefore, don't be too quick to judge others. Don't say something that you don't want to be heard. Meaning, the concept of secrets, we all know that there's no such thing as a kept secret. I'll tell you a hint. Uh, sorry, a secret? Even if you tell your spouse, that's not a secret. Once it's said, it's over. Although we know that our sages tell us that if you really do want to confide in someone, confide in one person. And the only reason for that is because it's not guaranteed that it's a locked vault. It just means that you know where it came out from if it becomes revealed. Meaning if I'm sitting down and there's two people in a room and I tell you a secret, Uri, you're going to say, no, uh, Art is the one who, who divulged the information, and Art's going to say, no, it wasn't me, it was Uri. And now I really am never going to get to the bottom of who exposed the secret. However, if you speak to one person and you know it's only that one person, it doesn't mean it's kept, but it means you'll know who to trace it back to. Nevertheless, Hillel tells us, don't tell someone something you want to say as a secret. The human phenomenon is that our mouths are not volts. Our minds are not volts. What is on our mind? We speak. Okay. This is an amazing concept. This is the concept of procrastination. Don't say, when I have time to do it, I'll do it. Because you're never going to have time. Or, better yet, this is exactly the translation. Don't say, when I have time, I'll go learn Torah. When I have time, I'll go do a mitzvah. You know, when I get older and I retire, then I'm going to go to the synagogue every morning. Or when I have enough money, then I'm not going to have to go to work, and then I'm going to be able to come to classes during the night. I'm going to be able to keep Shabbat, you know. In the meantime, I need to work seven days a week because I need. 
And when I have enough shalom, I need to work six days. Don't say that, because if you say that, you're never going to get to that position. And who says you'll even ever get there? God forbid, we don't know how long we'll live. So don't say, when I will have the time to do this good deed, I'll do it. That's not, that is actually one of the tactics of the Yetzir Hara, of the evil inclination. Continuing in Mishnah Hay. Hilal would continue to say, En bur yerechet. A simple person, an empty person, as the commentaries tell us, can never be a person who fears sin. Because they don't have anything going on over here. They're not mindful when they do something. Velo amma'aretz hasid. And an ignorant person can never be pious. Because they don't know what's right and wrong. So never mind being a tzaddik or a rasha, a r- wicked person or a righteous person, they can never become pious. A person who doesn't study, doesn't know what to do and how to do it. Now here's something which hopefully applies to us, or more, or more applicable to us rather than the first two is, velo habayshan lamed. A person who, um, what's the word shy. I'm looking for? Shy, very good. A shy person can never learn. Why? Because if you don't ask a question, you'll never know. If you don't ask, how do I light the candles? How do I take off the challah? How do I take these vessels to the mikveh? How do I, how, 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 how? How do I put on my tefillin? If you never ask how, or if, let's say I explain you something, and then you say, I ask you, do you understand? And you just nod your head when you really didn't. You're never going to learn. A person is never supposed to be shy in saying, I don't understand, I don't know why, come again, explain it to me again. That's the only way to learn. And I'll tell you a secret, and this is a secret which you can share, okay? Is that anybody who is wise or who has attained any level of wisdom asked the same questions. And they were not shy to ask it over and over and over. I've had certain, and I don't claim to be so tata, okay? I've had, and you could relate to this, Rabbi Singer, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In high school, we had a Rebbe. Oh, the why, always asking the why. No, no, better than, better. He would explain something, and he is a hyper genius, yet he explained it so clear. And then he looks at you and he says, so do you get it? So you're always tempted. You know you didn't get it. (laughs) So do you say yes and move on, or... Say no and him have, it, have him explain it to you again and still not understand it, or have the risk of saying yes, you get it, and he says, okay, so explain. So you're caught. It's a catch twenty-two. Each and every way you turn, that's the only way to learn by really trying and really putting your effort into understanding it and not being shy to ask. That's on the student's time side. But now Hillel continues and says, velo hakapdan melamed. But a very strict teacher cannot teach. Why? Because as, if, as a teacher, you give people, you put the fear of God in them that they don't even have any, any appetite or any, any willingness to ask, then they're never going to learn. So it's a two-way street. The teacher's got to teach in a way where they welcome questions and they promote questions. And as a student, you have to feel that comfort and not be shy. Have that confidence to ask to be explained again. Next, and not anyone who involves himself in a lot of business is wise. My father-in-law always tells me, and I've heard this from many people quoted, that real estate makes a rich man look smart. 
Okay? And that is, in essence, what Hillel is saying. Not everyone who involves himself in business and makes a lot of money and do, is doing well for themselves, it doesn't mean they're smart. And what's the point? So a person will come and say, well, what do I need to be smart for? Who cares if I'm smart or not? The concept of smart is living your life in a mature way, living your life in a smart way, dealing with family members, with others in a smart and mindful and mature way. That's worth more than real estate. That's worth more than money. That's worth more than doing, doing good business. It's acting mature, being smart, being known as and living and conducting your life as a wise individual. That's worth more than anything. And he ends up by saying, if you're in a situation and there's no one there that's going to come and do what's going to have to be done, you get up and you do what has to be done. That's in many situations. I'll give, for example, a medical emergency. Often there are many people who get flustered when there's a medical emergency. You be the person, if no one else has done it, that gets up and takes command. Has anyone ever taken any type of emergency... Uh, courses I'm sure there are many of no so listen listen to what's what's one of the basic things and this is only if you know what you're talking about if you don't know what you're talking about or you don't know what you're doing don't say anything but one of the things to, to do in a medical emergency if you know something about about what's going on is there needs to be one commander meaning you can't do everything so one person should stand up and command people what to do you, and be specific, you in the blue shirt, because I don't know your name, and even if I know your name, we're stressing right now. You in the blue shirt, call 911. You in the gray shirt with the pinstripes, you get down and, and, hold, and hold the person. And you, hold everyone to stay back and be very specific. Meaning, in, a certain, in that situation, you could be that person that gets up and, and saves the day. Sometimes not, if someone else is doing it, so now you find another position that's needed for you. And the same is for everything in life. There are certain things that have to get done, and if you don't see that they're getting done, get up and you take the merit and the reward for all those who haven't. Going to Vav. This is a, a, funny, a funny Mishnah. Zayn by you guys? Okay, yeah, yeah, in the brackets it's Vav. Okay, Afura'ah, so Hillel one time, was strolling by a river. And listen, look at what he saw. Not something you see every day. Okay, we're on the water over here. And I don't think anyone has seen one of these float by. And if you have, make sure you call 911. Okay, listen to this. One time Hillel was strolling by the river and he saw a skull floating in the river. Okay? So look what he says. Amarla. Now, the point of this is not to say that Hillel is this creep or this cryptic individual. On the contrary, he looks at every, every situation in his life and he wants to learn something from it. And he wants to maximize that moment in life. There's a reason why he's standing there at that time and he's seeing what he is seeing. So look what he said. He's speaking to the skull and says, Al da'ateft atfuch. Meaning, the reason why your skull, this is Aramaic, just in case you didn't get the lingo. The reason why your skull is floating, i.e. you were killed, is because you probably killed someone else. But don't worry, the person who killed you is going to be floating and dead next. Okay, it's in a very joking manner, but 
In other words, it goes as the saying we have in English, what comes around, goes around. How you treat others, you'll be treated back to you. So maybe it was a little bit of an extreme way that he was saying it, but that's what he means by that saying. Going on to the next, by you guys, it's chet. Hu ayamer, he lays on, on, on a roll. Marbe basar, marberima. A person who eats a lot of meat, or they get nice and fat in this world, Marberima, you'll have a lot of worms and maggots when you pass away and you're in your grave. Literally, that's what it means. Okay? The concept is, is don't invest everything in this world. Don't spend all your time on thinking, oh, how much could I eat? And how much could I give pleasure to my body? Our bodies are here like a lease. Some people lease their body 70, 80, 90, 100 years. More than that, it's already a broken down car. But that's what we have and as we all know a leased car you don't invest too much in it you make sure that it serves you for the 24 36 or 48 months you're using it and that's it the same thing with our body our body you just invest in it enough to keep it healthy strong to keep your mind working well but that's not the point the point is is what do you do with your body what do you do with your life next a person who has a lot of possessions, a lot of property, a lot of items, it just brings more worry. So you have two different models of life. You have the individuals who make a living, maybe put a little on the side, or you have those people who have a thirst to be tycoons and to own and to have and to, you know, you can have one employee and make a perfect living, or you can have a hundred employees and yeah, maybe make a little more, but you have a hundred times the headache. It's, it's up to a person to see what balance. Now to some people, a hundred employees, that's easy to manage. A thousand employees would be going crazy. And some of a thousand employees, no problem. We could have 10,000 employees. It doesn't really matter the quantity. It really matters the, the headspace and what you're able to get done and what makes sense for you. This is obviously talking back in the day when a person could have more than one wife. Nowadays, you will not find any orthodox rabbi, to say the least, that will marry you to a second wife, and it is to your own benefit on both sides, okay? Anyways, back in the day when you could have more than one wife, it would unfortunately bring a lot of witchcraft into your house. Now, why would you think so? Because the Talmud says that a co-wife, they're called tsarot. In Masechet Yebamot, anyone who's learned the tractate, sufferings. that's really what it's called. But, but the, the terminology of certain women towards each other, the Talmud calls them tsarot. For example, although this stigma is still... Uh, a fact nowadays, it's, it's not a nice one, but it's the truth. A mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship is not always the best. It's more often than not a negative relationship. And therefore, believe it or not, a, they are considered sarot, meaning that a daughter-in-law cannot testify whether it be positively or negatively for her mother-in-law and vice versa. Okay, because we understand that they might not have the purest motives and intentions. So too, and just that's one example, there's many other examples, but co-wives, meaning if Abraham had two wives, for argument's sake, 
one of the wives would not be able to testify, whether it's positively or negatively, for the co-wife. Because we don't know that she really like her or not. And as we could all understand, I'm sure a co-wife is not too fond of the other wife. Imagine you've been married, and you're a woman, and you've been married for a decade to Abraham. And all of a sudden, a young 18-year-old girl marries Abraham as a second wife. Do you think as the first wife, you are too fond of the new wife? Obviously not. She looks better than you. She's younger than you. She goes out dancing with him. You can't do that anymore. So for that reason, one of the wives, or if imagine a person had multiple wives, they would start doing witchcraft to attract, listen to this, they would perform witchcraft to attract the attention of their husband, to make them be attracted and love them more than the other girls. Okay? So therefore, he says, don't have too many wives because it just brings witchcraft into your house. Adkan. Uh, Moving on. Marbe shefachot marbe zima. If a person has a lot of maidservants at home, unfortunately, it promotes prostitution. Okay? And that could be, God forbid, with any of the family members in the house. Okay? Moving on. Marbe avadi marbe gezel. A person has a lot of slaves at home. Amen. A person has a lot of slaves at home. Well, that promotes a lot of theft. Okay? That's the more hands that a person needs to watch. Marbe Torah. Now some positive things, finally. Marbe Torah, Marbe Chokhmah. A person learns a lot of Torah. Sorry. Marbe Torah, Marbe Chaim. A person learns a lot of Torah that gives a long life. As we say, It is what gives us a long life in, in days and in years. A person who sits a lot in the Bet Midrash and stays around wise people, they themselves will become wise. A person who seeks a lot of advice ends up gathering a lot of practical knowledge. A person who gives a lot of themselves, whether it be charity or anything else that a person can do for others, that promotes a lot of peace. A person who acquired for themselves a good reputation, you're the only one who could acquire self good reputation for yourself. If everyone talks about a certain person and says amazing things about them, but you yourself had a bad encounter with them, all of that means nothing. It all depends on that personal relationship you have with somebody. So the only person that can establish a good um, reputation for themselves is yourself. Okay? Not the way you conduct business with others. Yeah, that's with them. But if you mess someone over once, if you cheat somebody, if you lie to somebody, if you, if you, are, you are not answering somebody, and you have the reputation of answering everybody and being on top of your game, if you one time miss out on that, you are affecting your own reputation. You're the only one who can stand and keep your reputation up there. Next is a person who brings a lot of Torah into their life. They have acquired for themselves all of that merit for the world to come and for eternity. Chet. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai kibel mi'lel mishamai. Hu aya omer. Im lamatar betorah al tahazik tova latzmecha ki lekach notzarta. He says, if a person learned a lot of Torah and they have a lot of wisdom, that's great, that's fine, but don't... Pat yourself on the back. Don't think like, oh, I've done what I've had to do. Because that was the reason why we were created. We were created by God to understand God. That's one way to look at it. He had five students. These are the following five. And he's going to tell us something specific and special. A unique character trait that each and every one had. Number one. 
Rabbi Eliezer ben Hurkenos. That's number one. Number two, Rabbi Yoshua ben Hanania. Number three, Rabbi Yosef HaKohen, Rabbi Shimon ben Etanel, and Rabbi Lazar ben Arach. Hu hayam Moneshivchan. And Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai, he would tell us the great character traits of each of the five of them. And they all had something specific and different. So look at this. Number one, Rabbi Lazar ben Hurkenos, Bursud, sorry, Borsud she'eno me'abed tipa. He was like a well that was perfectly sealed that not even one drop of water would ever escape. Meaning, like literally when you waterproof something, like you know a pool has diamond right and it waterproofs it, anything that you waterproof, he was this way. His brain was in a way that it was like a sponge. It sucked everything in, but nothing ever went out. He had an amazing memory, number one. Rabbi Yoshua ben Hanania, Ashre Yolato. Praiseworthy are his parents. Meaning, he had the most finesse of character traits that everybody who met him just left off with a great feeling. That was Rabbi Yosheh ben Hananya. Rabbi Yosheh Cohen was a Hasid. He was very pious. The difference, just to just those that don't know, the difference between a Hasid and a Tzadik is that a Tzadik does everything that is according to the letter of the law. A Hasid goes above the letter of the law. Okay? Next. Rabbi Shimon ben Netanel Yerechet. His amazing trait was that he always feared sin. He always feared God and he always did the right thing. He was like an overflowing stream of water that was just growing perpetually and exponentially non-stop. And who I am Omer? And now Rabban Yochanan ben Gamliel would say about his students, Imagine you take all the sages of the Jewish people and you put them on one side of a balance. And that was the rabbi who, what was his, uh, it was his memory? No, Mitkaber. No, no, Mitkaber is no. That no, Borsud that he had the amazing memory. Okay, he didn't forget anything. If you take all of the sages, who said that? Chazak. If you take all of the sages of the Jewish people and you put them on one end, and then you put Rabbi Yoshua, yeah, sorry, Rabbi Eliezer ben Hurkinus, who had an exceptional memory on the other side, he would outweigh all the sages. That's amazing, right? But now look at the next thing. Abba Shaul Omer Mishemon, Abba Shaul would say in the name of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai, Im yukol If you take all of the sages on one side of a balance, along with Rabbi Eliezer ben Hurkunus, Afi Mahem, Rabbi Lazar, Bakaf Shniya Machriyat Kulam, Rabbi Lazar, who was like Mayana Mitkaber, he was this overflowing, exponentially growing stream on the other side he would outweigh them all. Just to show the stature and the greatness of these sages, we're obviously not supposed to take it so literal. Next, Tet, Amar Lahem, Go out and let's see what is the right path a person should stick to in his life. Number one, we're going through each of five of these. This is how the, the Perek ends off. It goes through different things about these five of these, five of the students. So Rabbi Eliezer Omer, you know what the most important thing a person should stick to in their life is? Ein tova, having a good eye. What does having a good eye mean? The Rambam explains it in one word, and I'll explain what he means. He says, histapkut. Histapkut means being satisfied. A person who's satisfied with what they have, they could look at what others have and what others are doing, and they can be happy. The worst thing, and we're going to see the we're going to see the opposites of this. The thing that a person should stay the most away from, according to the Biliyazid, as we're going to see in the next Mishnah, is an ayn ra'a, having a bad eye, 
having a closed eye. Because when you have a closed eye, when you have like a laser beam eye on every person you see doing good, you're never happy with what you have. That person's driving that car, ah, you're not happy. That person just bought that business, you're not happy. That person's married to the, that other person, you're not happy. You always want more, you're never satisfied. The concept of having a good eye is looking at others and saying, wow, I'm so happy for them. Because you're really happy with what you have. But if you don't come to terms that way with what you have is what God gave you, tailor-made for you, you'll never be happy. Not in amount, not in quantity, not in quality, not in anything else. And therefore, the way to get there is by training yourself to have a good eye, seeing someone doing well, seeing someone's child graduate college, uh, get a certain position, accomplish something in life, be happy for them. Whether your child's a dropout, whether your child's doing better, be happy for that person and for the efforts that they put into, or for the good fortune the Almighty just endeared them with. Be happy for others, and that is something which is so satisfying for your own portion and lot that you have. That's number one. Rabbi Yashomer Havertov. He says, you know what the greatest thing a person should try to do is to be a good friend. Be someone that others want to befriend you. That's number two. Number three, Rabbi Yashomer Shachentov. Be a good neighbor. Being a good neighbor really means a lot. Being there for others, being liked by your neighbors, it's something very important. Rabbi Shimon Omer Haro'et Anolad. You want to know one thing that you should stick to? You're in the next Mishnah probably. Go one Mishnah over there. Okay. Okay. That's the opposite. That's the second. That's the next Mishnah where it says to stick away from. Okay. Okay. Now, Haro'et Anolad, Rabbi Shimon says to see what's going to come. Understand the ramifications of whatever is going to be. Knowing when you say something to someone or where you go a certain place or anything that you do that you know when you press this button, this happens. You know when you come home and you say ABC to your wife, it boom, explodes. You know that that's not the right thing to say. Okay, don't say that. You know when you say XYZ, it makes her happy. It, it, it gets her in a good mood. It, get, it, it alleviates all, the, all of the stresses that she had with the children or whatever else. Understand what's going to be when you do certain things. That's one great thing. Rabbi Elazar Omer Lev Tov. He says, having a good heart. What does having a good heart mean? So, um, Rabbeinu Yonah tells us that a good heart means that they are encompassing everything else that was said. Having a good heart meaning to contemplate and to understand and to think and be intuitive to everything that goes on in life. So when you have a good heart, and that's why afterwards it says, Meaning, he says, what he said, having a good heart, I see everything. The truth is, is when a person's intuitive, they have a good eye, they become a good friend, they look out for good neighbors, they look out for the consequences and ramifications for whatever takes place in life. So that is literally the source of all good. And now, the opposite. What is the wrong way that a person should stay away from? It's the exact opposite. Stay away from a bad eye. Rabbi Yeshua says, stay away from a bad friend. Rabbi Yosef says, stay away from a bad neighbor. Rabbi Shimon says, now we're the opposite. Rabbi Yonah explains how come. Meaning, stay away from people who borrow money and don't pay back. And that is really looking at what the future is. Meaning, don't lend your money to someone you know can't pay back. If they defaulted on you once, or you know that they're defaulting by everyone else, don't lend them. 
You're setting them up for failure. You're setting your up, yourself up in a situation where you don't want. So here's another thing. We're not going to get too much into it now, but it's important to note that there are certain times where you lend people money. You have to know that you're lending it to them and goodbye. Goodbye. So those type of loans understand that they are more like a tzedakah. They're more like a tzedakah. So take a picture and wave goodbye. I'll tell you another thing. I'll tell you another thing. Sometimes you know someone that they really need the money and you want to give it to them. Tell them you're lending it to them. And that saves face. That saves their, their honor. So this, this, this concept works in all different manners. It, in the way that you're not going to see it again, but also it could be used as a tool to help someone you really want to help, but you want to save their dignity. Tell them it's, tell them it's a, a, a loan and... Don't, you know, when you can, come pay back. That, that's another way. Um, moving on. And Rabbi Elazar Omer, Levra, stay away from a bad heart. Don't have a bad heart. Don't stay away from other people who have a bad heart. Amar Lahem, and same thing, I see in his words, everyone else. We are in Yud by me, and that's by you. Tedvav, okay. Hem Amiru Shaloshad Devarim. So each of these five uh, sages, each of them said three Things. Now, they didn't only teach these three things, but these were, as we said last week, the three things, they, they would be their MO, their modus operandi. This is what they always lived by. Number one, Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Make sure that the honor of your fellow, you respect the honor of your fellow just as you respect yourself, and don't be too snappy and too easy to get angry. That's number one, okay? Honor others the way you'd like to be honored. Number two, meaning make sure to repent the day you die. So how do you know when you're going to pass away? On that, who is it? The Rambam. The Rambam says, a person never knows the day they'll pass away and therefore do teshuva every single day, okay? Number three, Try to heat yourself up next to the fire and the heat of our sages. Meaning, as we're going to soon see, come close, but not too close. It's like the sun. The sun is something which gives off light, gives off heat. And if the world would move, they say, up to a centimeter away from where it is now from the sun, it would all freeze. And if it would move closer, we'd all burn to a crisp. The same way as with our Chachamim. Get close, but not too close. What does that mean, not too close? Meaning, give them their personal space at the same time. However, get close enough to pick up and to learn from them. Don't get too close to their coals. Meaning, don't get too close so you, don't, so you don't burn yourself. Now, that their, their bite, if you tick them off wrong, is like the bite of a fox, which has very thin and long and deep teeth and their sting is like the sting of a scorpion and their bite is like a poisonous bite of a snake and all of their deeds are all of their, their words are like uh, coals of fire meaning uh, not to get into confrontation with our sages it's, it's, not, it's not for your own uh, not for your own benefit he said these are the three things that a person should, um, should, should always 
Be careful. Avoid. Very good. Avoid. Ayn ra'a. Bad eye. V'yetzer hara. Evil inclination. V'sinat habriyot. And hatred from others. Because all... Ayn ra'a having a bad eye. Meaning, stay away from people who have a vicious, evil eye. Because that, unfortunately, does bring upon things which we don't want in our lives. Number two, evil inclination. And number three, hatred. Because these three things, these things can kill a person. The power of, of people's hatred, the power of the yitzharara, evil inclination, and the power of an evil eye, all have detrimental effects on our lives. Question. We're rushing ahead, but who said, or where else does it say, Kinah. Yeah. We're going to, in one of the further... One of the further, one of the further uh, um, uh, chapters, we're gonna have kina, tava, and kavod take a person out of the out of the world. Okay, next. Rabbi Yosha, Rabbi Yosei Let the money of your fellow be as important to you as your own money. Meaning, if you endear someone with an investment or your money to watch over or any property, you'd want them to take care of it the same way. That is, they would take care of their own items or their own money. So you do the same. Number two, Make sure you sit down, you dedicate time and effort to learning Torah because it's not, a, it's not a, an inheritance. Meaning, don't say that just because my father and my grandfather were wise teachers, rabbis, don't think that you are going to become one overnight just because they're your bloodline or whatever. No, you need to work for it. Torah, a person has to work for. It's not like it's in your genes. On the contrary, the Chafetz Chaim says something fascinating, and, and have this in mind. Uh, all of us, it's some, some way or another, are all linked to a great sage. We might know, we might not know about it, but he says, heritage is like a bunch of zeros. Until you put a one in front of it, they're all worthless. But it's worth something. Imagine you turn yourself into the best Uri you can. Imagine. Now, all of your zechut avot, as we say, the merit of your ancestors, all come up as zeros afterwards. So now you're not one, you're ten, you're a hundred, you're a thousand, you're a million. You understand? So it's worth something, but it's worthless until you pull your weight and you do your part. That's from the Chafetz Chaim. It's something very important and fascinating to understand. So even children and grandchildren of great rabbis and great sages, it doesn't mean anything until they put in, until we all put in our own effort. Number three, make sure that all of your deeds are for the sake of heaven. Moving on. Rabbi Shimon Omer. A person should be careful always with reciting Shema and with prayer, meaning to doing it on time. We know that there's a certain time. Kriyat Shema needs to be done by the third hour of the day and prayer needs to be finished by the fourth hour of the day. Make sure you get it in on time. Number two, When you pray, don't become autopilot robotic. Try to connect as much as possible. Try to renew, invigorate your prayer in as w- in many ways as possible. El arachamim v'tachanunim as compassion and pleading to Hashem lifnei makom shneiman ki el chanun v'rachum hu erech apayim v'rachesed v'nicham l'ra'ah Hashem is all merciful and compassionate. He wants a real conversation. He wants a real connection with us. He doesn't want all of it. He doesn't want us to pick up the book and just go. He doesn't need it. He actually prefers you don't do that. 
Our sages tell us it's better to pray less than you're concentrating and understanding what you're saying rather than finishing the whole book. Whether you know it up by heart, whether you read it, whether you break it to them, whether you read it incorrectly, all he cares about is our intention and our, and, and our connection to him. So it's something very important to remember. Number three says, Don't be wicked in front of your own eyes. What does that mean? The Rashi explains, Don't do something that deems you to be an evil person. Don't do something that you know either right away or eventually will turn you into a rotten, evil person. Okay? Moving on. Rabbi, Rabbi El-Azhar Omer. Make sure to dedicate and to put effort into learning Torah. Number two. And make sure you know what to answer to a heretic. Meaning someone who comes to you and they try to convince you out of believing in God or out of fulfilling his Torah. Know what to answer him. When they come with a Big Bang theory, or they come with Darwin's theory, or they come with all these other uh, things, that, 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 that be sure about yourself. And if you're not sure about what to answer, learn, know what to answer. Be confident in your beliefs, in your trust in Hashem, because it's dangerous. Unfortunately, sometimes someone very convincing, a very good salesman, could come over and, God forbid, sell you otherwise. So know what to answer. There's a machloket, there's a... A contradiction between the Rambam and Rabbeinu Yonah if this heretic is talking about a Gentile heretic and all the more so for a Jewish heretic or is it specifically talking about a Jewish heretic nevertheless they both agree that you definitely need to have your facts straight in your belief in God and the Torah and if not if you're not strong about it unfortunately don't trust in yourself a person could be swayed number three know who you are Toiling in front of, it's in front of It's in front of the Almighty. He is trustworthy and believed to pay back all those who do and follow in his ways. The last two Mishnahs, Rabbi Tarfon Omer. Hayom Katsar, this is an amazing one, listen to this. Hayom Katsar, it's a very short day. I'm going to translate it and then understand what he means. It's a metaphor. He says, Hayom Katsar, the day is short. There's a lot of work to do. It sounds, sounds like work. No, does it sound like your office? Yeah? So wait, listen to this. The day is short. There's a lot of work to get done. And all of the workers are lazy. But if they get their work done, there's a lot of profit to be made. And the owner or the employer is pushing. Guys, get ready. Let's go. Work, 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 work. So that's the anecdote or the metaphor of your office, of your business. But that's really... The metaphor of our lives. The day is short, meaning we don't have a long life. Our life is timed. We don't even know how long it is. There's a lot to get done. There's a lot of mitzvot to do. There's a lot of personal refinement and character refinement to get done in the short amount of time that we have. There's raising children. The human nature is to be lazy. So get your toches up off the chair and start pushing. And you know what's going to remind you to do it? It's because there is great merit. Hashem wants to give you merit in this world and the next world. So get up off your lazy and push. And number three is, sorry, and the last one. One, two, three, four. Number five is, is pushing. He is always wanting to see us to do good. He hopes for us to do good. So 
make sure that we, that we fulfill and we do what we were put here to do. Last Mishnah for this evening, concluding the second chapter. Hu haya omer. Rabbi Tafon continued to say, Lo It's not up to you to get everything done. You can't fix the whole world. You can't get everything built. You can't do it all. On the opposite side, you can't be completely scot-free from doing it. Do, but do whatever you can. But do. Now, if you learned a lot of Torah, Hashem will give you a lot of reward and merit for it. Every word of Torah, every good deed, every action, every good intention. And Hashem is trusted, He's trustworthy to do for us and to give to us. And finally, Veda, and we should know, that the true reward for righteous people is everlasting and is in the world to come. And that is one of the answers of how are there great people, nice people, who are suffering in this world. It's because this world is just a hallway for the world to come, and the world to come is where all the merit and the eternal merit is. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening, and be sure to listen to more Torah classes by Rebel Laredo. Please visit the MTC Sunny Isles website for more information at mtcsunnyisles.com. Rebel Laredo also has hundreds of Torah classes on YouTube, and more coming out daily go to youtube.com forward slash Rabbi Laredo.